The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Beer It Is. My name is Tobias Woolborn, and today we're in Decatur, the deck as I call it, some other people may call it, and I am here at one of the originating places of the Atlanta craft beer scene, Twain's Brew Pub at its finest, and with their new brewer, Michael Castaño. Make sure I got it right, like the jalapeno. <laughs> kind of, so you got to elongate it a little bit, make it fun, make it sexy, and he's making fun and sexy beer. Michael, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Man, I'm fantastic, man. A lot better as I am partaking of this fine barley wine that you conceptualize here. So let's hop right into it. Tell me about that beer, and then we'll kind of get into your concepts, things that nature a little bit later. Sure, sure. This particular beer, this is um, an English-style barley wine. Um, so when I started here, I, I came on board the week before Halloween. So I believe that's the 20th, 21st of mm-hmm. October. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a, kind of a crash course, so to speak, of uh, learning the system, learning the equipment, uh, the ins and outs of the brewery. Um, so I brewed a couple of um, collaboration beers uh, with, with Chase Medlin, the, mm-hmm. um, the head brewer who had left, uh, left here just recently. And, and then uh, I was kind of put on my own and said, you know, come up with a lineup and, and we'll release them all, all together. And so this was the first beer I brewed since it would take the longest. But I chose an English barley wine because it ages much faster and is ready to drink much sooner than, say, an American barley wine, mm-hmm. which can tend to be aggressively hopped. And so if you've ever had some of the American barley wines when they're first released, they can, they can be... Um, very harsh at times, or, yeah. or, or almost borderline unpalatable. Um, you let it lay down for a little bit, and yeah, yeah. You, you sit on it for six months. It starts smoothing out, mm-hmm. and then a year is when you start saying, "Oh, I can really enjoy this." Right. But two to three years is really when you're in your your money zone of this beer is like at its prime. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I, I can't do that here with an American barley wine. <laughs> we would be sitting on the beer way too long. Right, right. Not enough bright sun up for a minute. So, we're talking know, about your system. Here's naturally, an English barley wine, yeah, it will, about three to four weeks would, would um, put you right in, in, in that prime zone, and that's where we're at now. Um, so it's got some caramel flavors. It's got a little bit of a, of a fruity ester note from, from the English ale yeast, um, some biscuit malt. Um, it, it comes in at a, a lower alcohol percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, for the range of barley wines, it's a uh, almost nine percent, um, and so English barley wines can, can get all the way up to twelve percent. Oh yeah, they go pretty big. Um, but I, I wanted to have something that was approachable um, at a brew pub setting, especially at Twain's, where there's a lot of game uh, type environments: playing pool, playing darts, playing shuffleboard. You know, having dinner with your family. You may not want to be hitting up a twelve percent uh, barley wine in that environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is kind of a entry level barley wine, so to speak. Right, and you mentioned the beer being nine percent, but for you guys, it is one of the heavier beers you guys make. It, it's the strongest beer in this lineup that will be released. Right, and so let's talk about that a little bit. Like, is that intentional? Making the beers, I think most of your beers range between five and seven percent ABV alcohol. 
by volume. So explain what that means to the audience and then explain how that kind of relates to what your guys' mission is here. Sure, sure. Um, so we have the um, wonderful advantage of having nine uh, bright tanks to serve beer out of here mm-hmm. and, and nine tap lines. And so as, as a brewer here, I'm trying to develop and, um, and create a, a lineup of beers that are always diverse so that we can hit one, two, hopefully three different beers at any given time for any customer who walks in mm-hmm. um, that can say, I can drink that beer, I can drink a whole pint of it, um, and be very, very satisfied. So we're looking to have a diverse uh, lineup of low alcohol, moderate alcohol, and high alcohol beers, mm-hmm. um, light in body, medium, and full in body, as well as um, light in color, amber, and then dark. Um, just to fit everybody's desires and needs for the given moment of time. Um, so that's kind of the challenge that I'm, I'm struck with is, sure. is, is uh, keeping beers diverse enough so that anyone who walks through that door can find a beer that they would like. Hey, you got to diversify your beer. I'd say another place we can diversify your beer each and every week here on Beer It Is on the CSPN Network. My name is Tobias Wilborn. I am here at Twain, but man, Michael Mike, excuse me, Castaño. He said call him Mike, not Michael. You know, you got to kind of, he's not Michael Jordan, but he, <laughs> he's got a little bit of Jordan-esque in the beer. So, you mentioned this IPA you guys are doing. Sure. Man, tell me about that one, man. I, I, this, the, the colors and the scenery sure. really caught my eye. So the, so the very first IPA that we'll be releasing is called Resinous IPA. Uh, clocks in at just about 7% alcohol. Uh, that's about that range now yeah, of a single IPA. That's your the tropicalias of the world. Yeah, it's, it's so on, on the yeah. upper end of a mm-hmm. traditional IPA, or, um, and it's uh, I would say about 80, 85 IBUs. So okay, it's, it's pretty punch in the face um, nice. as far as the bitterness on the finish. Um, but fortunately, it's it's a very West Coasty, um, specifically Northern California West Coast traditional IPA, right. um, brewed with a lot of the standard hops that portray uh, resiny, piney, a little bit of grapefruit to, to balance all that out, and then um, there's some rich pungent hops like Columbus mm. um, that follow through, uh, it's hopefully to create a very diverse um, hop profile in your mouth. Um and so the, the beer is a, a shade under, say, ruby red in color, a little bit darker than a traditional West Coast That's going to pour fun. But it may trick you because it isn't as rich and full as some of the East Coast IPAs that have that same color profile. Mm. Um, it finishes very dry and very clean um, with, a, with a slightly bitter um, uh, finish, but at the same time it doesn't linger. So you're not sitting there trying to get that bitterness out of the back of your mouth. Um, and so that's the first IPA we're going to release. The, the the idea here is there's so many different ways to make an IPA with with hundreds of hops and even more malts available to right. me. Um, why narrow yourself down and settle on one particular beer? Let's make a whole bunch of different kinds of IPAs. You know, we've got right now the, the resiny piney west coast homage um, IPA but then we'll come in with a, tr- uh, a more of a New England 
concept of like that that juicy tropical. Hop. Yeah, that's the one everybody seemed to be yeah. into now. I Not necessarily I'm... that cloudy, hazy, turbid beer. It'll it'll be a little bit cleaner and clearer than that. Between, a southeastern IPA. Between the audience, I'm not a big fan of the intentionally hazy beers. Yeah. I, I just think like it looks like an unfinished product <laughs> to me, you know. Right, but right. again, everybody's into something different. But I do like the a little bit of the juice bomb kind sure, of. Sure, sure. Some of that stuff is pretty cool, particularly on a warm day. But you get a lot of that in the south, man. Yep, yep. So, so we're gonna have hopefully at all times two hoppy beers, an IPA and a pale ale, and perhaps a third or a fourth, depending on um, production schedules and, and seasons. Um, and so, the idea in the production planning is to have the hop profiles of those beers um, contrast each other mm-hmm. rather than encroach on each other. Okay. And so, I like contrast versus yeah, encroaching. Yeah. So, I'll be releasing an American pale ale. Um, one of my favorite beers as a home brewer, something that I've worked a long, long time on, on developing, um, that'll have more of that tropical, juicy hop aroma, a lot of mango and, and, and pineapple and tangerine, mm. um, a little bit of grapefruit underneath, and, and a nice supporting malt character. It's a very drinkable beer, um, one of the, the favorites of mine. Um, and so that's why I came out with a resiny IPA, is, is so that you can contradict or, or uh, contrast those hot flavors. And you got to try more than one, right? You can have one, and you want to yeah. maybe get a little something soft. You could do that, or you want to you want to have the bitterness. So you can do bitter first, sweet later. Guess yeah. you know which way you want to go, right? Yeah, I just didn't want to have a situation where someone said, "Oh, this pale ale is just a diluted version of the IPA." Um, you know, they're they're ide- they have their own identity, and they're unique amongst themselves. And that's important to be unique. And I'll tell you where another place where is unique. Here on Beer It Is, my name is Bias Wilborn, right here on the CSPN Network, here at Twain's. And there's definitely a lot of uniqueness about this area. Downtown Decatur, man. I mean, when this place, this place has been around, what, 20 years around? Yes. And so when this place was established, the ABV laws were in effect, so you couldn't brew over 6% legally. Mm-hmm. There was no porter or brick store they weren't around yet um you know now when you go down the street to the left of here there's three breweries within a half of within what two miles sure. you got blue tarp that you run into first you got wild heaven and you got um three taverns all back to back what's it been like seeing this area kind of grow and being in this area now yeah i've lived here in this area since 2007 and there's a reason why I chose it uh, to, to live in this area is because it is the forefront of the craft beer scene in Atlanta. Um, obviously, there's a lot of neighborhoods who have come up and also do that very well at this at this moment. You know, there's there's downtown, there's Little Five Points, right. there's um, you know a number of other areas. Well, yeah, you got Kennesaw, town. you got the uh, crazy sure. Scott Hedin up there, and. Sure, sure. <laughs> and the nest as a place to go, so yeah. But um, uh, you know, this has always been an area uh, close to me in my heart um, mm-hmm. that just always embraced the new, the interesting, um, the great beers of the world. And so, uh, I'm very fortunate to, to have a place to brew beer here in this this town, um, amongst side those breweries that you mentioned earlier. Um, 
and we have the fortunate opportunity to pair our beer with food. Mm-hmm. You know, very very excellent food. You know, made by made by Savannah here, and hopefully we can help transcend your experience pairing wonderful beer with wonderful food, making them work together. And so let's get into that a little bit, man. Like, what? Okay, like say if I'm drinking a an imperial stout, or Betty, this is going for you. Have like you guys have a stout on now that sure. I really enjoy. Yep. Um, tell me about that beer, and then tell me like what would you pair with that? Sure, sure. So uh, right now the stout we're pouring is an oatmeal stout. It's called mm-hmm. Changing the Guard. Right. It was a collaboration between Chase and I. Um, Shout out to Chase. Yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, so good luck to him in his future endeavors and everything. Absolutely. Um, and so that's a beer that has a nice creamy mouthfeel. It's a little bit fuller in body. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has a slightly sweet finish from some of the caramel malts that we use. Oh, yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's very drinkable. Uh, yeah, it's about quick, 6.5, right? I think it's 6.1. 6.1, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. It's, it's in that ballpark yes. of, of uh, approachable beers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, nothing too big and nothing too strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that beer has a, has a light amount of roast. Um, so what you would want to do, in my personal perspective, is you take that body and how do you apply that to a food? Um, so for me personally, it pairs really nicely with spicy food because mm. that richness and the creaminess of the beer helps cut through the capsaicin of that spicy yes. food. Say for like for example, buffalo wings, mm-hmm. um, and so that it refreshes your palate so that neither weighed down your tongue. Over time, you know, if you have too much spicy food, you just can't taste anything anymore. Right, yeah. But if you have too much palate. heavy, rich beer, you also can't taste anything anymore, and you're just kind of like uh, dulled. And so each one helps refresh your palate over and over again. Um, so that's personally what I would like with it. So it kind of acts like a palate cleanser almost to an extent. But some people right. like to amplify certain flavors, and so pairing something that you may pick out in the beer with a food that also has that flavor. So you could take the chocolatey notes and the roasty notes and, say, pair it with a chocolate dessert, um, the Bouchon that we have. Oh, that sounds smooth, yeah. And those two, those flavors would all play together very nicely and perhaps amplify as opposed to to uh, neutralize certain flavors in your mouth. Nice. And so go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't make a job. Yeah. Oh, it's, 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 it's kind of one of those books as a kid. You know, it's, it's choose your own adventure. Mm. Um, if you want to pursue this, this concept... Pair it with a certain food, and if you want to do something totally different, it works very well that way. And speaking of your own adventure, man, you have an interesting background. You, sure, Jersey boy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had to get that in, right? I mean, <laughs> so how did growing up in Jersey, I guess, paint your beer drinking background, or did it have an effect? Not at that moment. Um, you know, growing up in the... Uh, so, I'm from South Philadelphia, or South Jersey, right outside of Philadelphia. Right. My parents grew up there. I went to high school in Philadelphia. So, there's, there's a lot of... A little bit of, of crossover. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a little bit of that trans-Delaware um, River Oh, concept, yeah. Mm. Um, that splits New Jersey and Philadelphia. Uh, but you, Splits it in, brings it together, too. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. The, um, Water bagels and, yeah. And so... Pretzels and <laughs> there's a big love of Yingling there, which of was course. one of the the first local. Um, depends on who you're talking to, but it can be defined as craft beer. Um, but it was a local beer. That people, it was craft. Yeah, yeah. If you're just talking the Brewers uh, Association and 
definitions of volume, they still fit in the craft beer. Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps there are other ways to define craft beer that they may not fit into. But we, 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 won't, we won't get into yeah, those that's, semantics. That's not my call. Yeah, we won't get into those semantics. I love Yingling. Uh, you know, there was Rolling Rock from that area as well. Oh, Rolling Rocks, yeah. Uh, so there was, there was always this concept of local beer. Um, but then I went off to college, uh, Furman University in Greenville. Um, mm. And that's kind of where I started experiencing... Uh, the local beers of that area. So you drink at Thomas Creek, then, right? Yeah. Thomas what, what, Creek. what years were you at Furman? I'm sorry. What years were you at Furman? So I was there from 1999 until 2004. Oh yeah, yeah. You definitely drink at Thomas Creek. They, they yeah. were the big. I think they were like the only ones, right? In South, yeah. In South so Carolina, there was, yeah. there was a small little brew pub called Blue Ridge. Yeah. Um, there, and then there's a number of North Carolina breweries. Mm -hmm. um, that we're, we're distributing to that area. A lot of stuff out of Asheville, exactly. then, yeah. yeah. And Asheville, that was kind of like, Salem, mm -hmm. all the, the pretty much the maybe, Western Carolina. Maybe like a little bit of Greensboro, North Carolina. Sure. Because sure. Charlotte has a scene now, but it didn't then in 99 through 04. It's not a big scene. There weren't many beer scenes other than Colorado, California, right. and then Asheville. Asheville, yeah. You know, and, and Vermont and, and uh, a handful of other places. So so were you drinking a lot of Asheville beer in New Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, it opened my eye to a handful of different, you know, Highland Gaelic Ales. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, we drink like the French Broad. and Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, there was a number of beers that you just start discovering this eye-opening experience of how many different flavors and profiles there are. Um, so when I moved back up to Philadelphia, I discovered, you know, Victory yes. and Dogfish Head, mm -hmm. Trobes, and a number of wonderful breweries in that area. Dude, I would fight somebody to give me a Trobes Christmas Ale, man. I, uh, I still the Bad Elf? Yes. Is that? Yes, yeah. it was bad. I still like that beer. Yeah, it's a really good one. It's a great one. Fun to drink. And same thing with Victory. It's, it's interesting because, like, a lot, a lot of people listen to the show. So I have an interesting mix of audience. I have a percentage of... I'll say connoisseurs, sure. Maybe nerds, geeks, whatever you want to call them. Uh -huh. Then I have like a lot of the newbies, so it's like a, like sure. a mix, a, a, a nice little mix of people learning beer. That's why I try to ask, hey, will you explain what this means? Because some some of my audience are brewers, whether it be commercial brewers or home brewers. Some are like, it's my first time drinking a craft beer, yep. so some may not know what the mash tun versus louder, so you know, so on and so forth. Uh -huh. But um, one of the things that I've learned is. When you get into the regionalization of beer, it becomes a fascinating thing. In Victory, there was a period where Storm King, which oh, is now yeah, yeah. like like a quote unquote like some people will call it a shelf turd. I hate that terminology, <laughs> but you know that's what it would be called by some of people in the scene. Okay, was at say 2005 one of the top ten beers on rate beer. Absolutely, and it's still a great beer. I yeah, think. Yeah, and Hop Devil was another one. Yes. Um, and there's there's a whole slew of beers, especially you know Weyerbacher has yeah. a number of them as well. Uh, so yeah, you're in a good area up there, man. Absolutely, yeah. So um, I really kind of cut my teeth. That's because I had a job then, so I was able to afford you know buying <laughs> craft beer on a regular basis, not just relying on my you know my graduate professor to buy me beer. Oh, nice. <laughs> you know, of age, of course. Right, right. Well, by the way, because here on Beard is we advocate. 21 and up, please. Of course, of course. But you know, I mean, hey, experiment happens. I mean, <laughs> they're brewers who brew at 18, so yeah. it's not illegal to brew at 18. It's just illegal to drink it in America. Is that right? 18. But, I mean, yeah, because think about it. I mean, like, I sure. could go and buy a brew kit. Mm -hmm. I can go today, 
if I were 18, I could go buy a brew kit and I could brew the beer. Mm -hmm. So that's not illegal. It's technically the consumption of it. Okay. But even then, there's little ways around that for sampling of what you create. Okay. Um, And I say that because I was just in Greensville Greensville, um, this past weekend, and I was at Thomas Creek, and the brewer there started brewing at 18. So it's kind of an interesting story. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, which is a whole other thing with them and their brewing system. And they brew on a really big system. You guys are kind of a smaller system here. Sure, sure. So tell me about your system. Sure. We've, we've got a seven-barrel system. Um, and so we have a, a mash lauder tongue combination, mm. uh, which essentially means that um, the first step or one of the first steps of brewing beer is, is the mash, mm-hmm. which is where you crush malted barley and perhaps some other ingredients as well, uh, and mix it with hot water. And what you're doing there is you're converting, you're changing the starch in, in that grain and breaking it down into sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of ways to do that, and there's a lot of different processes that develop the body and the finish of your beer in that step. Mm. Um, and so that's the mash. And when you're finished that step, you need to strain off that liquid out of the barley so you you don't have any of the husks or the grain particles yeah. left behind. And so that's called lottering. Mm-hmm. And so some breweries do the same, both of those steps in the same vessel, and some have separate vessels. Right. So the bigger breweries tend to have different separate, vessels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That way they can constantly be producing beer. They're mashing a beer, they're lottering a beer, they're boiling. Um, and at this stage, it's, it's word, it's not beer. Um but you're doing every one of those steps all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, here we only produce one beer, one product in a day, so using the same vessel to do both doesn't limit our production scale. Nice. Um, so how often are you brewing here, man? I'm sorry? How often do you brew here? What, what are your brew days like? It varies. Um, depends on the demand and, and how quickly beers are moving, but uh, anywhere between two to four times a week. That's a um, grind. It's, it's fun. Um, you know, coming from the chemistry background, I love developing So, so coming from the chemistry background, you know, my job was always to, to work on developing processes to improve certain methods, uh, certain recipes for, for your product. Uh, and that's essentially what I'm doing here when I'm brewing. Uh, you know, you're making the beer. It's, it's a very intimate process. Um, and so it's a lot of fun for me. Mm. Um, you know, it's the cleaning that's not the fun part. Yeah, cleaning, <laughs> the cleaning days or the cleaning times. You know, everyone thinks brewing is a very um, fun thing to do, but at the same time, as much fun as you have, you have to spend twice as much cleaning. Because, mm. <laughs> I mean, you can't brew. It's not like I, I, I tell people, like with bourbon, bourbon's like a bourbon distillery and you know, like, it's literally just open back because they're just going to distill it anyway. Uh-huh. So it's not necessarily the cleanest environment. Brewers are always really clean. They're supposed to, yeah. They're supposed to be. be. Well, the good ones, I'll say. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know, the old adage in, in homebrewing is you can't make good beer without good sanitation. Mm-hmm. And you can't have good sanitation unless your vessels are clean. Right. So a dirty surface will never be sanitary, and a, and a vessel that's not sanitary will never make good beer. Um, and so you have to start from the backward, you know, one end and work your way up. So it's it's uh, a lot of, of um, 
breaking down equipment and scrubbing it out by hand and, and running lots of hot water through it and cleaning and cleaning. Nice. And we're going to take a quick pause here sure. on Beard Is. We're going to maybe sample another brew real quick, but we're also going to get into Michael's home brewing background and how that led him from home brewing in Jersey, Philly, the whole thing to running a brew pub in Atlanta, Georgia. We'll be right back. This is Classic of the CSPN. Do you like the podcast that you're hearing so far? Well, you can help us out. Keep our podcast free for you by shopping at Amazon. Visit our website, cspn.us. Then click on the Keep Our Podcast Free link at the top of the page. From there, you can shop for music, books, Blu-rays, DVDs, toys, jewelry, apparel, and much more. All with the discounts, quality, and shipping reputation that Amazon has to offer, and all through the CSPN. So, help us out. Go to CSPN.us, click on the Keep Our Podcast free link, and shop at Amazon through us. Do it today. Boys and girls, we're back for the quick break here on Beer It Is. My name is Elias Wilborn. We're here at Tony's with man Michael Castanio, and we are sipping upon this beautiful, buxom, robust brown ale. It smells good. It feels good. Tell us about this brew, man. Sure. This is um, this is one of my uh, near and dear beers um, <laughs> to rhyme. Um, near and dear, I like it. Near and dear beer, uh, right? But no, it's it's a beer that I brewed um, quite a few times on my home brewing system. Uh, kind of tailored the recipe a number of different uh, ways to get to where I wanted it. Um, it's my perfect football, you know, yes, football beer because it has enough flavor and character mm-hmm. that you're not sitting there wanting more. But at the same time, you don't have to think about it to enjoy it. You can kind of just like sip on it while you're watching the play mm-hmm. and it's 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 the right strength where it's not underwhelming but at the same time you can have a few while yeah. you're watching the game and, and enjoy yourself and not. Um, what, what's ABV on this beer? It's uh, well this beer is a little stronger than I in, intended it to be so mm-hmm. it's about 6% mm-hmm. but traditionally it falls in at about 5.3 to 5.5 Okay. Um, so that I, there was a, some efficiency Things that I worked out in the middle of my production uh, line. Nice. And I started getting a better and better um, extraction rates, which essentially means you get stronger beer. Um, and so I'll be tailoring the beer back a little bit um, just to make it a little bit more drinkable. Mm-hmm. Um, but this beer is, um, you know, as I, I, was, I was saying. I feel like I could drink this outside too. Like I'm at a tailgate. Absolutely. I could sit at a tailgate. Hang with the buddies, have a couple. It's a wonderful beer because it tastes great when it's cold, but mm-hmm. as it warms, it actually gets better. Yeah. Um, 
There's a lot of that nuttiness comes out. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of a, a, a chocolate note, uh, very, very faint. Um, but one interesting flavor that I've been able to pick out of it is um, almost like the skin of a peanut. Ah, uh, yeah. Like without it being too astringent, just having mm-hmm. a little bit of that dry, yeah. roasty flavor to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some bready, biscuity notes to it. Um, it's it's a uh, it's a very complex beer. While it's also not too uh, overwhelming, right? Um, so this is one of my favorites. It, it doesn't knock somebody out who say is new and they're like, okay, I just this just goes over my head. Yeah. But somebody who's really into it and has some nuance to their palate can get into this beer too. Sure. So man, let's talk about palates a little bit, man. Um, okay. You have an interesting background. Um. As a judge of beer, how'd you get into that, and how does that help you going forward? Sure. What you do? So um, when I started homebrewing, um, I had a mentor of mine. His name was Garrett Seaver. Um, when I was living in Delaware, and he really, uh, I, I had a, a strong interest in homebrewing, and uh, I predominantly only brewed pale ales and IPAs. Mm-hmm. And I would go to club meetings at my homebrew club, the First State uh, Brewers in, in Wilmington, Delaware. And I would taste his beers and just be floored at how he created so many different good beers mm. all the time. And it was like you never had a bad beer from him. And so he helped show me his process, and he was an engineer. Um, and so he kind of helped me apply the chemistry and the engineering to brewing, because that's essentially what it is. It's right. just you're engineering a product um, in the sense that you're you're calculating out your heat and your and transfer ratios and I'm not going to bore you with the rest no, of that. That's but, yeah. but, um, and that helps you fine-tune your process so that all you have to do is evaluate the recipe. Because mm. if you think about it, if you are constantly variable, you can't reproduce the same thing over and right. over again. It's like making a cake. I mean, yeah, you can't right. tell, is the recipe good or is my process bad? Mm. Um, and so once you get your process down, you can start evaluating your recipe right. and tweaking it to your flavor. Um well, anyway, he recommended that I enter one of my beers into a competition, okay. um, which I had never done before, and, and surely enough, it did really well. It ended up taking first place in the double IPA category, um, and I was like, wow, maybe I'm really on to something here. Started doing some more competitions, mm-hmm. getting really interested in it, you know, seeing, getting getting valuable feedback on what my how my beers were, and just kind of really uh, opened my eye to the flavors that people were able to pick out. Mm. Um, and the beer that I couldn't personally taste. And so I decided that to get to the next level where I'm constantly producing high-level beer, I had to start judging beers so that I knew the flavors I was tasting. And that way you can actually design your recipes a lot better because if you right. know in your head what you want the beer to taste like, well, now you kind of know how to do that once mm. you start judging beer. Um, so I started that back in 2009 with the help of uh, Phil Farrell, yeah. um, one of the one of the biggest judges in the entire country as far as reputation and skill set and, and, and um, experience. And so he puts on you know judging exams here in, in Atlanta all the, twice a year. Uh, so I took that exam and started judging a lot, uh, traveling around the southeast and, and just gaining as much experience as I can and trying to move up through the ranks um, and study and study and study. Uh, and you, it's your palate is a muscle, so mm-hmm. you might say, "Okay, I'm tasting this beer." Somebody's describing it as um, 
I don't know, um, pear and, and, and bread. And you're like, I, I don't taste it. It just tastes like beer to me. And that's how I was when I first started. You know, it tastes like beer. It tastes like the style they called it. But I don't taste these particular flavors. I think they're making it up. Mm-hmm. But as you, you exercise your palate more and more, you start saying, oh, now I see that pear. I definitely can taste that. Mm. Now I see that, that bread or that toasted note or that bread crust or, you know, roasted coffee. And it really starts, uh, it's a fun exercise to put your mind through. Instead of just drinking a beer and saying, like a litmus test, do I like it or do I not? Well, what do I taste? Right, right. And how good of an example of that style is this beer? Does this beer represent the English brown ale? Or is it uh, more of an American brown ale? Mm. Or is it more of a porter? You know, how, or does it not fit any of those? And it's right. kind of an amalgam of all of them. It's not really a style, it's just a beer. Yeah, yeah and so it's, it's, it's fun to kind of do that in your mind. It just makes the, the experience that much more interesting. Nice. Um, and so how can someone get into that um, and kind of learn and try to... If they, may not, they may not want to brew it, they just want to be a more knowledgeable beer drinker. Sure. Well, there's, there's a number of different atmospheres to, to do that. Um, throughout the city, there's a number of um, gatherings where people with really good talents and high levels of knowledge on both the process side and production as far as brewing beer, mm-hmm. but also tasting beer and being able to describe flavors and determine what beers are, are very well-made and which ones are a little bit less so. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's Ale Atlanta. Um, there's Ale Alpharetta. There's First First Sunday, I think, at the Wrecking Bar. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's, a, there's I'm sure there's a number of other ones. I unfortunately don't have enough time with a family to get out, yeah. to get out and do them all. Um, but if there's Beer Talk. Um, there's, there's a number of different forums throughout the city. And then also nationally to get through, there's, um, I think it's what the... Um, Shout out to Neil over there at Wrecking Bar, by the way. You mentioned Wrecking yeah, Bar. Absolutely. Yeah, good guys. Yeah, they're there. doing a great job over there. And, and um, they they kind of are doing exactly what I would like, right. is to have a very diverse portfolio of interesting beer styles. Yeah, their program um, is crazy. So would you consider them as, like, not necessarily a competition, but something like you maybe would look to to kind of want to try to do, not necessarily what they're doing, but something similar? I think that they have a lot of great ideas that's going on there. I, I really like the What H Wednesday concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that they have so many different beers always available. Yeah. Uh, because I, I feel like that the brew pub environment is the the um, breeding ground of beer connoisseurs because it allows you to try a half a dozen or a dozen different beer styles, many of which you can't get anywhere else in the country. Right, right, right. Because essentially IPAs rule... Uh, the market so yeah. much so everybody's got a brew that one. it's not profitable for like a bar or a brewery to produce say some random style like a Roggen beer. Mm-hmm. Um, so a Roggen beer is a dark rye beer made with a hefeweizen yeast. So it has like a banana and clove mm-hmm. aroma, um, and it's kind of uh, caramelly and chocolatey, but it also has a spiciness from the rye. It's a very unique beer right. that's almost completely out of existence. Right, right. But you can get that at a brew pub. You can't get it anywhere else. No. Like, you may find some yeah. on a shelf yeah. for the Belgian. What's the, who, there's, the one that, there's one that's out that's pretty popular. A couple of my friends love it. Um, comes in a red and white bottle. Um, 
head will come to me. Um, what, what kind of beer? Uh, the Rotobach. There, there's a Rotobach. There's a Rotobach that's out. It comes out around Christmas. Oh, we'll focus back on that later, guys. Because like, we'll sit here and get caught in thought. But there's one that's out anyway. It'll it'll come to me later, and I'll make sure I let the audience know. But that style, like you said, is just one you don't get. Or even now, yeah. we were sipping brown ales, and we were talking about this off air. You just don't see a lot of brown ales right. in the market consistently. So the fact that you guys have one that's coming is pretty cool. And you guys have a breakfast one that's on. Tap now. I mean, that wasn't your beer, but it was still one that you guys had. It's an excellent beer. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a collaboration with uh, Intelligentsia Coffee. It's a yeah. cold brewed coffee. Um, it was added to a brown ale, uh, so it's got this really nice, clean coffee flavor. It's not too aggressively roasty, um, and so it's a very nice, easy drinking beer. Um, very well done. And yeah, I think beer, uh, brown ales, amber ales, uh, anything in that range tends to, to fall off the radar of many people because they either want pale, hoppy beers or dark, roasty, strong, rich beers. Right. And it kind of just falls that, that middle child of brewing um, that tends to get ignored or, 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 or cast aside um, all too often. It's a shame. But, um, you know, I'm, I have a, a love for, for, for all beer. Yeah. Um, and so hopefully we will continue. So what's the relationship like? I know it was one with the guild is one thing, but is there like a relationship with the, with the other group pubs? Like obviously there's Wrecking Bar, there's Slice of Pint, um, there's Torch Top, things yeah, like that. Like Max Loggers. Max Loggers is five seasons. Yep. Like, right, so is there like a relationship with you guys? Like, uh, Yes, absolutely. So, uh, you know, as a home brewer, I've, I've kind of made um, some friendships with, with professional brewers um, around different brew pubs and, and professional breweries as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'm trying to maintain those relationships and develop them even further. Um, and I, uh, coming from the science background, there's this concept of free exchange of information. Mm. Um, and, you know, in the in industry where I was working for 10 of the 15 years I've done research, um, it's not quite like that. You know, there's a lot of the term IP, intellectual right. property, right, right, right. You, you need to hold on to your information and not mm-hmm. share it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I feel like the budding craft beer industry hasn't gotten that far yet. And people are still really welcoming and sharing information, whether it be about uh, a supplier or a piece of equipment and how to operate or maintain it or recipes or techniques. Um you know, sharing beers and evaluating them and giving feedback, you know, in a constructive way. Um, it's a really open and embracing uh, community. And that's one of the things that I love about, you know, the brewing industry, especially here in Atlanta. Um, you know, I don't see those people as my competition. I see them as my um, comrades. Right. And you guys also still carry other breweries and stuff in your place, too. So it's not like... You just carry your own beer, so Absolutely. that's a unique thing with brew pubs. Have yeah, you know you have to supply beer that the consumer wants, mm-hmm. and it would be foolish for me to believe that I can meet everyone's desires and everyone's needs, and that every one of my beers would be perfect. Right. And so, if a beer is missing for a particular person, we need to have something to fulfill their desires. So you try to, you try to like, and I know you like your bar managers is a whole different thing, but you try to kind of make it to where. 
Okay, cool. So we have nine taps. So like you said, we have a couple of hoppy beers, we have a couple pails, we have a couple, you know, different things. So you kind of try to like make your your bar program where you may fill the gaps of stuff you don't have. Is that what the, the goal is? That's part of the concept is to have, uh, you know, there's always going to be holes in the lineup. Right. Uh, and there's always going to be beers that move faster than you can replace them with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, for example, the IPA will probably be the fastest moving beer in the right. lineup. Um, and it, like I said, it's a very resiny, um, dank almost beer. And so it's nice to have a hoppy beer that kind of fills the other side of that mm-hmm. hop profile. Uh, something that has more of a tropical character or more of a grapefruit um, uh, profile to it. And so having those uh, play off of each other, you know, um, in in my particular lineup that I'm coming out with, we don't have any low-alcohol beers, unfortunately. Sure. I wanted to do that, but we just didn't have the time to produce It's kind of contradictory. I didn't have the time to produce it. It's the fastest beer to make. But it takes a lot of ferment. I just yeah. I didn't have tank space available sure. to make it in time. Um, so we'll be coming out with some session beers later on. Uh, hopefully, something interesting, um, maybe that people haven't tried before. You know, maybe some low alcohol Scottish beers. Oh, interesting! Um, some low alcohol English beers. Okay. Um, well, ESB maybe. Yeah. So I, I have an ESB. You have an ESB. Um, okay. So maybe uh, like an ordinary bitter okay. or a mild. Um, you know, uh, a session porter, uh, mm. things like that. So um, there's some fun stuff that we can get into. Absolutely. Sip talk. That's kind of the vibe here at Twain. Just yeah. sit back. You're not trying to get people hammered, but you just right, want right. to have a couple, have a good time. Yeah, I mean, if you're here with your buddies and you're playing a couple of rounds of pool and you order a pitcher, you want to be able to do that and maybe get another one and, and enjoy yourselves without, you know, um, yeah, you know running into a, a wall where you're just feeling like, I can't go to myself anymore. I, you know, I can't go home. Nice. And speaking of running to a wall, one place you won't do that is share on beer it is because we keep it fresh each and every week. Different brewers, different places. Today we're at Twain's in Decatur with Mayor Michael Castaño. And i got a couple more questions for you. So with you, um, what has been the greatest lesson you've learned from moving from home brewer to professional brewer? Um, the greatest lesson I've learned is to never take anything for granted. Um, to always think, <coughs> approach every situation, uh, how do I want to do it, what do I want to happen, and how do I make it happen, without assuming that any of those things will work on their own. Mm. Um, and so, uh, you know, taking that next level step, as a home brewer, I essentially just brewed beers that I wanted to drink. Um, and now I'm brewing beers that other people want to drink. Right. And so I need to change my perspective and my approach to brewing in order to fit that need, mm. that that new um, drive that I have to have. Um, and so that's a you know stay humble and and enjoy the conversations you have with people about beer and always take something away from it on how you might make your next beer. Um, this beer's too hoppy, or this beer's too roasty, or this beer's too strong, or not strong enough, or any of those types of things, and, and just always trying to make beer to suit the needs and the desires of your, your customers. Speaking of uh, ratings and conversations, 
you go on Untapped, you go on the rating services, and if so, what do, what is your take on those services, and how do you deal with the interaction and feedback? So I've never partaken as a consumer um, in, in that area. I, I have reviewed for some beers for a beer connoisseur. Mm-hmm. Um, Shout to them, good mag. Yeah, yeah, when I was a home brewer. Mm-hmm. Um, so now that I'm professional, I'm not eligible to do that anymore. Right, right, right. Um, and that was a very fun time uh, doing that because it, it really, not only does it challenge your perception, but uh, since you're writing a review for a publication, it really delves into the other side of your brain where you start thinking on a, on a um, communication like How do I say this? How do you yeah. write it so that it's elegant mm-hmm. and, but still conveying the message? Right. Um, so that was a lot of fun. But to get back to your question, um, I've been looking a little bit here or there. Uh, from what I've heard from other people, keep an eye out, keep an ear out, see what people are liking and what they're disliking, but don't take put too much weight into it because there's always going to be naysayers mm-hmm. there's always going to be people who love your beer no matter what it is right um, so it's kind of just taking the, the general average and saying people generally like this beer or they generally do not mm-hmm. um, and if they do not you know that's when you start want to start having if you can face to face conversations to find out why if you can't figure it out on your own and that's a, and that's an interesting thing because people on those sites like, I mean I I guess like you, you're a guy who has been a trained judge who, you know, has done this. Like, I'm a guy, I've written about beer, and I'm working on some licensing myself. So, I have a little bit of spirit, a little bit of knowledge. I've homebrewed a little bit. You've obviously brewed for a long time. And your opinion will have the same weight on those sites as somebody who is drinking their first beer ever. Well, every consumer has their own, you know, same value. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's not like I buy any more beer than someone else does. Right. And so, if, if one person doesn't like their beer, they can they can express that opinion as long as they do it constructively and, and without being um, uh, denigrating. Yeah. You know, that's that's perfectly welcome and acceptable. And if another person really loves the beer, that's great too. Um, so. You know, people make beer for every palate and every right. spectrum of flavors and, and, and profiles that you'd like. And my perspective is only one. Um, just like any other thing out there. Right, right. You know, a hundred people or a thousand people or a million people can have an opinion on a book. And you don't have to be an English professor and have a PhD in, in literature to have an opinion on, on, Whatever book on this book and whether it's a good piece of literature or not. Especially if you're buying it. Did it move you? Did it make you feel something that, it, that you wouldn't have felt otherwise? And if so, then it's great. And if it's mundane and boring and you'd rather not read the last ten pages of the book, <laughs> then it's not a good book to you. Right. It may be a great book to someone else because it applies to their perspective. Well, you know, one thing I've kind of said to people is, I tell people, I've never had a bad beer. You know, looking at me like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. I've had some beers that maybe weren't to my palate or what to or what I liked. I've never had a bad beer. If somebody took the time and put the effort into it, then it's good. It may not be my palate. Now, unless if it's just, you know, something, say, where it's a barrel-aged beer and it's infected. Or something like that, okay, and that's one thing, or it's over-oxidated or something like that. But sure. generally, like, if it's made to whatever style, just for whatever reason, it just didn't work for me, it didn't work for me, I think uh-huh. it's okay to say, because I feel like if 
if I can't critique you, then why would I ever compliment you? Sure. And I appreciate like you having a really good attitude like that. You know, there's uh, there's a hundred different takes on a particular perspective, right. and it, yeah, again, from my background and the chemistry perspective, I like to focus on the process. Mm-hmm. And if you have good technique and you know how to make beer, then that beer is going to be palatable. And so I, I've always told homebrewers when they ask me for you know information or advice, it's work on your process. Because a great process with a terrible recipe will still make a really good beer. Mm. But a terrible process with the best recipe ever written will still make a terrible beer. Wow. You know? Wow. If you take Pliny the Elder recipe from, from Russian River and you don't know how to make it, you don't know how to work the equipment, and you don't know the, 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 the ins and outs of fermentation and sanitation, the beer's not going to be drinkable. Right. But you can take the you know your average everyday IPA recipe. If you really know how to make beer... People are going to like it. So, man, what were you brewing on when you first started? When I first started? Yes. Um, I had a five-gallon pot on my stove. Nice. That I used stove. extract, and it was a partial boil. So, you, you boil, like, two and a half gallons. Yeah. You steep the grains. Mm-hmm. Well, you steep the grains, then you boil it. You add your hops. You cool it down, then dilute it with water. Oh, it was terrible. <laughs> I mean, the beer was okay. But it was, it was a horrible process. And then, you know, I've slowly upgraded over the years, got a full-size kettle, got my own mash ton and water ton and, and hot liquor tank, and and uh, have constantly been upgrading. And so this is my next upgrade. So, man, where... You know, what we're looking at here. So, man, when did you decide, you know what, I, I'm pretty damn good at this. Like, when did you get to the point where... Um, oh, I haven't decided that yet. <laughs> I think uh, I have enough fun doing it, and I think enough people enjoy the beer um, that uh, I've always kind of wanted to make a profession out of it. Um, and it's that challenging situation where the older you get and the more you do your own career, mm-hmm. that train is taking off and getting faster yep. and faster and faster, and it becomes harder and harder to jump trains mid um uh, Midstream, mm-hmm. to cross analogies here, yeah. um, you either have to come to a complete stop and start on a new track. Um, and I just happened to find the perfect situation where my career was going where I wanted it to in the chemistry industry. This opportunity opened up, and it's exactly where I wanted to be. So, are you still working as a chemist, or are you just no, all brewer? I'm all through. Wow. I still work as a chemist here <laughs> yeah. uh, as a brewer. Cause so, now how do I work with the wife, man? Because chemists make a pretty good living. And brewers don't. <laughs> uh, you know, it's uh, it's about being happy and and um, being able to pay the bills and, and su- support your family, but at the same time, being able to support them more than just monetarily, also um, from an emotional standpoint. Nice. And if you're if you're never there and you're spending three or four hours a day in the car, and when you get home, you're just angry. It, 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 that's no better mm. um, because it's not a great lifestyle to live. Um, and doing something that you love and that you're passionate about and that really invokes that that inner fire, it just it makes you that much more loving and passionate toward your family. Um, so she's very supportive. Um, at the moment, I'm working a lot, but I right. think things are gonna even out yeah. once, once we get our, our lineup out and. Um, I think she's uh, she's very happy for me, and and we're we're, we're living a great life. Good, well, you know what I'm saying. Mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. So, <laughs> mama got to be happy. Yeah, so, you're doing absolutely. a good job, keeping mama happy. Therefore, 
everything else kind of flows and makes it work. And I tell you what, man, I think you guys have a really great product here. And looking forward to coming back for the big opening. Tell us about that. Tell us how people can get involved with that and what's coming up next. Sure, sure. So um, the whole lineup, there's eight beers. Um, it'll be released on the 28th, this this Wednesday. Um, we will have from, from say, lightest in, in color and body to, to darkest in, full, in flavor. Um, we will have it a Belgian blonde. Uh, it's going to ring in at 7.4%. So it's mm. a little bit stronger, but it's still a very easy drinking uh, flavorful pale beer, um, kind of in the similarity to Left or Aflagem. Oh yeah, uh, those blonde, those Belgian blondes. Um, and then we will have an American pale ale, um, which is one of my home brewing successes in, in, the, in the competition circuits. It's called Eleventh Hour Pale Ale. It's, it's got a very bright, um, fruity nose. In, in this, it's got um, pineapple, tangerine, mango, a little bit of grapefruit on it. Nice, nice. Um, We'll have that resinous IPA that we discussed earlier, mm-hmm. um, and ESB, uh, which is a very traditional English-style uh, beer with some earthy flavors and some biscuit malt flavors mm. as well. It's a very sessionable, easy-drinking beer, that brown that we just tried. Um, it's a good, fun beer, man. Yeah, yeah, I love that beer. Um, we'll also have our American Stout. Mm. Uh, which is tributed to Garrett uh, Siever, who I mentioned earlier, my mentor in homebrewing. Nice. Um, he loves dark beers, and so he asked me to make a stout for him. Nice. Well, I wanted to make a beer for him, and he asked for a stout. So um, we've got a smoked porter, which is um, kind of a beer that I really enjoy. Um, a good smoked porter, man. Smoked beers aren't for everyone, but I will say give it a try. But if they're right, man, it's yeah. good, man. Give it a try. And if that first sip may be a little bit um, shocking. Because you're not used to tasting a smoky, roasty beer. Mm-hmm. But I promise by the time you finish the beer, you'll enjoy it. Um, and then rounding it out will be our, my English barley wine. Um, we will do a sneak peek of the IPA. It'll be releasing tomorrow, uh, Thursday the, the 22nd. Yeah. Um, we'll be tapping it uh, early just to... to let, you, let y'all come check it out. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, so that's the first initial lineup, and, and uh, kind of a la homebrewing. Um, we're going to try to keep new and fresh beers on all the time. Um, you know, these are some beers that are very near and dear to me, so I'll be making them more than just once. But at the same time, I want to have new, fresh beers coming out all the time. So I'll be brewing a Belgian red tomorrow. Um, kind of uh, a little bit richer and, and uh, caramelly uh, for the for the winter holidays mm-hmm. and it won't be ready for the winter holidays but it should be ready in, in January to help, help deal with the cold nice that's what you're gonna need it the most guys I tell you what we can sit here and talk to you for hours thank you so much for having me no thank you so much for being part of the bearded movement and look forward to seeing what's next at Twain's yeah absolutely all right mm-hmm.